Coffee Time Wednesdays with uh, the Prairie Farm Podcast. Can't hit us with the jingle. Do 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 do. Welcome back to the Prairie Farm Podcast, Coffee Time Wednesday, the best 15 minutes of your week, possibly the hardest of ours. Actually, no. Clayton is having the hardest. Yeah, sorry, Clayton. You need to go to lunch right now, and we're recording this podcast. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) He's probably so upset. So we got to get this done quickly. We had a special guest, Peyton Scandridge, hang out with us today. No, he's not coming on the podcast, but uh, we got to hang out with him. So (laughs) that was fun. Yeah, it was really good to see Peyton again. Cleaning out. Clayton is currently cleaning Indian grass. We've mixed seed this week. We're shipping out bunches of seeds. We're getting ready for people to pick up their seed. And, uh, but we aren't as busy as what we've been. Cause I feel like we always complain about how busy we are on every no, episode. Cause we're not, we're dialed down now. We're not subject to the fields losing their seed anymore. Right. Right. We got that. So it's been nice. So yeah, we're, we're not, we're not as busy. It is, it is going well. I mean, we've got going. a lot going on, but it's not like what we were. You know, we got, uh, we got some cool emails recently. I got a really cool email from a, uh, coffee distributor who said that they listen to our podcast so shout out to wild river rivers coffee company we uh we appreciate you listening all the way from ohio um that is not the farthest listener we get there is someone who consistently listens or several people i guess a group of them who listen from australia i don't know very cool maybe it's the guy maybe it's the guy we met at oh at pheasant fest yeah we met (laughs) in australia you guys think we get bit by spiders all the time (laughs) well do you well, only like 20. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, we asked them like, well, have you ever been bit by a spider? Like, only like 20 times. <laughs> like, so, I did. I woke up with do you a spider think the, Austra- the do you think? Well, that's no surprise with the kind of buildings you've been living in lately. <laughs> I'm surprised it's the only bite you've been yeah. getting. But do you think uh, the Australians are probably our most hardcore listeners? Like as far as just like if you were to drop them into any kind of – ecosystem and be like hey survive they'd like it'd be like easy for them because if oh. it wasn't you know like they're used to like crocodiles that want to like drag them in the waters have been australian and they're really relaxed i think they would i but think, that's part of it like when you when you're staring down crocs and you know funnel yeah. web spiders and stonefish and everything but else also, they're so relaxed that it's like i think they just might bake in the sun and die slowly and be happy with it be like yeah i'm just gonna <laughs> chill i'm not gonna worry about that food over there um well we we love you to our australian listeners yeah. thanks for tuning in yeah thanks for hanging out we always we always get some people in south america i actually Mexico. you know to relate this to prairie I, those are two different things by the way. <laughs> at the uh, north american prairie conference this year they brought in a guy from australia to talk about um oh, yeah. the aboriginal uh, burning uh, practices than like how they're trying to go to some of these, uh, you know, Aboriginal tribes and, you know, kind of dig up some ancient history on how they used to manage the land and trying to reincorporate some of those things. It was, it was fascinating to, uh, to Wait, hear about we're, that. We're getting off topic. I'm trying to give this guy a shout out. So, oh. so uh, wild rivers coffee. So what they do is they have these, different coffee blends you can go on their website and if you look at the and they're not they're not paying us money right now to say this i just really liked their idea and i think you guys should check it out uh if you look at their blends of coffee they um they have like a i think a bear blend and a duck blend and an elk blend maybe not a bear blend definitely a trout blend and uh sounds like my kind of blends yeah dude they blend trout and put it in the coffee 
No, that, I don't think still they better that. than the cat poop but, coffee. But, oh, dude, yeah, I would I rather. We I'd should rather... try it. We should try it and rate it on the podcast. I'm not trying cat poop coffee. I don't need toxic. Is that a challenge, <laughs> guys? Someone send us. Nick's gonna spike so my I coffee. Because if one of you guys send it, there's no way Kent won't try it. If I said like, look. A listener sent this in. He would for sure try it. I will videotape it. It'll be great. But so if you buy one of these blends of coffee, then they donate a percentage of their profits to Trout Unlimited or Ducks Unlimited or whatever that bag is marketed as. And I think that is really cool. cool. That's awesome. So good work. Good work out there. Uh, Wild Rivers Coffee. Nice work, uh, Wild Rivers. What? So nice work, Wild Rivers. That's awesome. Doing a good job. Anyway. Um, you got a topic gamble. Do you think yours is better than mine? If so, you go last. I don't have like a ton of research behind mine. Mine's kind of like observation, a little bit of research and yeah, it'll be pretty interesting. One. Okay. Then I'll go first. Let's talk about four. <laughs> mine is boring. No, I don't know. It <laughs> depends kidding. on what you're interested in. Let's talk about Chinese people owning American land. Cause people Ooh, love, that's actually very it. interesting to people me. People love complaining about it. Turns out it's not an issue. And here's what I mean. In in Florida, there was all sorts of, of things. And whether you like uh, um, our good friend down there, uh, DeSantis, uh, or not. He's not a good friend of mine. We don't know him. <laughs> I don't know the guy. But uh, there was, like, he was, people were saying, he's not letting Asian Americans buy land. That's not true. It's if you were part, um, if you were a citizen of China, in a couple other countries that China has really strong control in, you couldn't buy land within a certain radius of these government bases, which whether you agree with or not is more is closer to the truth than him just banning Asian people from I'm half Asian. You know, I did not feel any offense towards when he was, uh, when people were screaming that usually cause it, a lot of it is smoke, but on the agriculture side, I have heard a Are couple you Ron of Ron DeSantis' campaign manager, Nick? Am I? <laughs> I have not paid well enough to be that guy's campaign manager. Ron DeSantis, if you want to pay me to be your campaign manager, I have a price. <laughs> I'll think about it. Yeah. Please. You, uh, <laughs> no, I, that sounds like a nightmare. Politics generally sounds like, oh. you know, like when you're a kid and you're like, I'd love to be the governor of Iowa. Oh. And, and like. I remember my mom, I was in like fifth grade. She's like, I'd rather scrub toilets than be the president <laughs> of the United States. And I was like, how horrible, mom. Like, scrub- <laughs> I for sure would rather scrub toilets and be the president yeah. of the United States. You, I mean, whether you like them or not, the criticism that they go, they go through, whether they're Republican or Democrat, they get scrutinized. Their family gets belittled. You know, I, I'm or not if, into that. Or if, you know, your party, you, you know, you win the office, but the opposing po- party is... Um, takes the house and Senate and you're just gridlocked for years, you know, and then you're known, you're known as the president didn't get anything done. Look, I feel like I enjoy and get along with most of the people I talk. I'd say well over 90% of the people that I talk to, I at least get along with. And most all of them I enjoy, (laughs) but if you become president of the United States or some political figure of major office, you immediately are hated by 50% of those people just immediately. I don't like that guy. That's true. You know, and they don't even know you. Yeah. But okay, wait, Need why more are we parties? Guys, we're not a political uh we're not a political podcast. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna blame the listeners for forcing me into this. <laughs> no, we love you guys. So there is conversation about Chinese people buying uh agricultural land, specifically like not people of Chinese descent, but Chinese 
citizens or Chinese companies or basically it's all the Chinese government. Yeah, essentially, the idea is you have a foreign country owning property in America. Yes. So, um, as of August 25, 2023, Chinese buyers of agricultural land own a total of, can you guess? Don't look. It, and remember, wait, Bill Gates and owns... this is the whole country? This is the whole country. Bill Gates owns like 280,000 acres. He owns way more than that, doesn't he? I, I think it's about that. That was when really? we checked last year when we were going through it. Uh, but anyway, uh, um, what's your guess? Total Chinese citizen ownership. I would guess like a percentage or acres. Acres. I would guess like... Um, maybe 1.4 million acres. That's a really good guess. So <laughs> they don't have exact. Dang it, Kent, you hit it right on the. <laughs> no, no they don't have exact numbers on how many acres they own total because it's like through different. But from what they can tell, since they've been more closely monitoring in the last 12 months, there have been 1,400 acres bought by wow. China. That's it. Well, how much is it? One thousand. How much is it overall? Acres. Like total? They, they're not sure. Um, I read not. On Wait, the, is that what you asked me? How much they bought recently, or how much? I they, thought I had said that. If oh, I said sorry. how much do they own, I meant. I how thought much you meant. Bought. I thought you meant overall. Owned. No, but it's not. It's not very much. There's they. Uh, the indication is that they own less than one percent, which one percent is quite a bit of agricultural yeah. land. You know, that's a ton of land, but they own a lot less than one percent. And in the past year, they've bought three hundredths of the. Of one percent, so point oh oh three percent of the viable agricultural land in the United States is what's been bought up. It's basically like just one wealthy person buying a farm is how much they bought. Not mm. like a Bill Gates wealthy, just like one guy with five million dollars. That's how much he could buy, you know. Yeah. And uh, and I find that very interesting. You know who owns quite a bit of land in the United States. The, the, what's your guess on the country that owns the most land. And when you say country that owns the most land, it's very rarely the governments that own it. It's almost always just investment companies in that, that are based in that country, which often a lot of Americans are partakers or stockholders in those investment companies. Yeah. Um, a foreign country owning land in America, I would say, I'm going to guess it's going to be some European country, maybe like uh, go with uh, Germany. Okay. Well, listeners, if you guessed England, you would be wrong. It's Canada. So, and <laughs> uh, and then next it's Germany, oh. or at least in uh, the Midwest. So it's Canada. I and feel then pretty Germany good and... about that. Yes. Yeah. 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 Nice, got number two because you were really far off on the acres. So I told you it was a good. <laughs> I guess. misunderstood the question. Yeah, <laughs> I, my hearers don't hear right. They're uh, yeah, they're bad. But actually, foreign entities own forty million acres of U.S. land, not agricultural acres. They just own forty million acres, which is about one point eight percent of all U.S. land, ranging from uh, like oil mining, wind turbines to agricultural things. And um, this article, one of the ones I'm reading is on uh, Spectrum News, which is a local one from Ohio. 
Um, and they talk a little bit about Ohio specifically, but they um, were really saying it's really complicated because, yeah, 1.8% is quite a bit of land to own by foreign entities, but it's not one organized party. It's hundreds, if not thousands of different parties from different countries you know, so maybe Canada has the biggest stake and let's say they own half a percent of land. That's a ton of land, but you got investors, you got individual people who used to live in the United States that then moved to Canada and kept their land. You got all sorts of stuff like that. So it's a little complicated. It, it's uh, don't let the news scare you with so-and-so owns so much land. Don't don't let them do that. It, it is more nuanced and complicated. The power isn't consolidated, which is when it gets scary. The power isn't consolidated with the land there. And uh, but it, it can, if they target an area, it can drive up prices in a specific two or three county area. Let's say an investment company comes in and says, hey, we've got a base there. And let's say in Jasper County, Iowa, we got a base in Jasper County, uh, Iowa. Well, then basically immediately all the farm makers around will go up in price by a lot, by like 20%. Mm -hmm. Now that's not fun. And we, we don't like, we don't necessarily like that, but uh, it's not like they're here to take over and bring in their military bases and right. destroy the United States. So I'm just here to quench fires and yeah. tell you that I don't work for Ron DeSantis. I mean, I heard a great quote the other day. Um, I think it's Thomas Sowell who said it, who's like a you know really smart um, economist, I think is what he's most well-known for i read one of his books and for like my macroeconomics class in college i think uh but uh he said something along the lines of like there's no solutions there's trade-offs i think that's how it goes so like hmm. so there's you know in, in this issue you know it's like you can't really say it's 100% good you can't really as you just showed you can't say it's 100% bad either yeah. there's, there's just trade-offs to everything and I think it's important like even going back to politics like keeping that in mind you know um, there's trade-offs to everything the one the one thing that concerns me is the same thing that concerns me about somebody who lives in um, Iowa and own owns land in Kansas it's that when you have an absentee landowner landscape is um, sometimes, you know, there's people that they're like, you know what, just go ahead and CRP the whole thing, you know, but other times it's like, they're, they're never there. They never see what happens there. They're just there for the check, you know, farm to death or, or, you know, mm -hmm. something like that. And so sometimes conservation can, you know, conservation efforts and practices that should be in place, get overlooked as yeah. a result of that, you know, because they're not connected to it. Right. They're not there. Right. They're not exactly. So that is, you know, when you have people from other countries owning land here or vice versa, us owning land in other countries, uh, from the United States to there, uh, you know, that's a risk that you run is, is, you know, like you said, zero connection to it. And as our good friend, uh, Doug Duran likes to say, nothing parties like a rental, nothing parties <laughs> like a rental, dude. But no. So, uh, my topic, is a prairie in old railroad right of ways. Um, at my home farm that I live on, uh, there used to be a, a rail line, the Rock Island Rail Line, which was a big, you know, r railroad company, I guess you would say. Um, used to run right through our family farm. And um, they, 
I think in like the 60s or 70s, they pulled up that stretch of line. I don't even think the Rock Island Railroad exists anymore. Um, But so they pulled up all these these old uh, tracks and stuff. And but you can still like see where they were, you know, like there's a berm where they like mounted up the ground and uh, laid down the tracks on there and everything. And and on our farm, we even have an old railroad uh, bridge or trestle that crossed a creek and stuff. I think it was put up in like around the Civil War, like 1860, I think, is Hmm. when they put that in. And uh, so I like to do a lot of deer hunting. And uh, I've been hunting around that old rail line this season. And while I've been in there, like moving around, I've been noticing all these like native plants or what I'm suspicious of being native plants in some cases. Like, you know, how you can just tell that something is an aster of some kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tabitha Panis, she uh, joked when we were on our hike back in, uh, what was that, June at uh, the Los Hills? Yeah. She was like, you know, when she's doing these nature walks and stuff with people and someone, like, points out a flower she doesn't know, she's like, oh, it's probably an aster, you know, because there's, like, so many (laughs) of the prairie species are asters. Yeah. So you can, like, see, like, I don't know what that is because it's, you know, not in bloom anymore, uh, but you can just tell by the leaves and the stems and and they get, like, the little fuzzy uh, seed heads on them and stuff, you know. And some you can't identify, like Virginia wild rye, silky wild rye. You know, you can still very clearly see that that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And so I've been seeing that on this ancient, you know, you know, hundred and what would that be, hundred and fifty ish, sixty ish year old railroad line. There, there, there would have been a lot of prairies still in Iowa one hundred and sixty years ago. Yeah, and um, so these plants, in a way. They probably all have remnant, um, like, uh, I guess you would say genotypes, right? Um, Because they had to do some kind of excavating to that ground to put down that that railroad Mm -hmm. line. But, you know, you still would have had, like, next to it where it wasn't excavated. You'd still have some native remnant prairie growing there, and it would be propagating through the area. You know, seeds would be getting spread out. And so... Um, I believe a lot of that stuff in there is like remnant, um, like, uh, bloodline geno, you know, obviously plants don't have blood, but you get the idea, you know, like their genetic line is of remnant prairie yeah, that DNA. would would have once, yeah, would have once been there. And I was talking about it with my grandmother recently and, uh, she said that, um, my grandpa, used to like sometimes he'd be working out in the field in the springtime or you know cutting hay or something and some of those remnant flowers would be in full bloom and she remembers him cutting and bringing to the house some uh butterfly weed Hmm. and she was asking me about butterfly you guys grow that out at hoxie and stuff the answer is yes even though nick doesn't like it no but but uh um it's a pain it's just so cool though to like see have that connection on my own farm you know well not my farm my grandpa's farm but to have that connection in this place that means a lot to me and, and yeah. see this this um, very real thing here. And it also made me think, you know, there's probably all over this country all these old railroad lines because they used to, you know, they used to be like your fastest means of transportation. In fact, um, 
you know, hundred plus years ago, a cousin of mine who's like my grandparents' age was telling me, you know, we're, he was telling me some old family stories. He said like up here in Sully, um, it would have been like, you know, a great aunt of mine or something. Yeah. Great, great aunt, probably like five great aunts or something. Uh, she had appendicitis and like that was back in the day where, yeah, sorry, you know, and you're like, there wasn't much they could do for you if you were living out in a remote rural spot like this. Cause that's a, you know, think of what it would take to ride on a horse from here to Des Moines to go get yeah. like a major surgery, you know? But what they did was they loaded her up on the train that would like haul grain from, you know, Sully, Iowa City to Des Moines. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. And stop at all the little town, yeah. towns along the way. And they like packed her in with these bags of oats and like laid her on the oats so she could be comfortable. And uh, it was like the winter time. So they're trying to keep her from freezing. And uh, she rode on that old rail line from Sully to Des Moines That's and had crazy. her life-saving surgery. But Normally, Sully to Des Moines is like 45 minutes, but on a train, <laughs> going it probably was like a three-hour ride. You know, yeah, I mean, if, I mean, especially in the makes shop, you wonder if they had stopping. to make, but I wonder if they did. You know, I wonder if they're like, we got to get this lady there. Sorry, we're not making any stops. I don't know. Yeah, but it's it's interesting, interesting. like how how big that would have been at the time when we had so much prairie that there's probably still a lot of remnant bloodline or not bloodline DNA DNA. We'll just say remnant prairie DNA. Yeah, that's in these old railroad right of ways. And because that ground is like, unless you go in there and do some heavy equipment work, yeah, you know, it's going to be left unfarmed. Interesting. So I do. It makes you wonder how big is the gap? Is there a big gap or how big is the gap growing between um, people who grow it like us and remnant? Right. Because we're not cultivaring it on purpose, yeah. but there's going to be some gap, especially if we keep getting our fields from our, if we grow new fields from our old field seed, you know, we're going to start creating like our own line of subspecies. Um, now I don't think that's happening in like a 10 or 20 year period, but I'm saying if like Hoxie ends up being like a hundred year old company, we'd have to be careful of that, you know? Yeah. Add in some genetic diversity. Cause you and I only does still important to match ecotypes though too. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Getting you and seed I from multiple remnants is they, they collect seed from multiple remnants then they'll plant it. So that's generation one, what they planted. Generation two is what comes up. They'll keep generation two. And then they'll plant generation two to be generation three. And that's the last they'll plant it because they know that we're going to buy it and create out of generation three, we're going to create generation four. And then out of our own generation four, we'll probably create a generation five and six. Yeah. And they said they don't want them going too far. And I don't know how far too far is. That's a good question for Laura or maybe Justin Meisen, who I believe's podcast is coming out Friday. You guys get a he is is the most scientist scientist I've ever met in Prairie. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's more scientists That's in cool. Prairie. Uh he he's doing all sorts of wild experiments. So man. It's fun. Yeah. Good conversation. You gotta go relieve Clayton, man. Yep. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget we are presented by hoxie native seeds we uh we like this place they uh they pay our bills and give us a job where we can sleep well at night so all right talk to you soon